Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Sam. Those readings will be um, helpful just to remember. They're not kind of bizarre things that we've just read for the sake of it. It is all pointing towards the end. And that is what we're looking at today. All looking at the end and how we live in light of that. And if I tell you what, to save you 25 minutes, let me just read the last two verses of the song we sung, which sum up perfectly what we're going to look at today. Riches I heed not, heed not nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always you and you only, the first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. O high king of heaven, when battle is done, grant heaven's joy to me. Bright heaven's son, Christ of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. I'm still going to preach for 20, 25 minutes, but that is pretty much summing up what we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to pray and then we're going to read from Luke chapter 12. So if you want to turn your Bibles there just while I turn mine. Luke chapter 12, we're going to read from verse, um, we're going to jump from 32, 35 is going to be on the screen, but we're going to just jump from 32, um, that's last week's passage, just to help us. And it's only three verses, so I think you can handle it without words on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, have a look at them. I'll pray, then we can begin. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have won that great battle for us. That no matter how much we worry, no matter how much care and precision we put into every aspect of our lives, that you tell us that ultimately it is a lost cause. We think we are in control, but we are really not. But thank goodness we have a God and Saviour who is. A God who has won the battle for us, who is awaiting us in his kingdom. Who is calling us to that place where there is no more death or tears, where there are feasting. Lord God, help us this morning to concentrate on what we have to learn from your word, how we are to live in light of the end. Give us wisdom in how that works in our lives. Help us not to be driven down by guilt where we fall short but rely on the grace of God but help us to strive always for godly living living in your way in this world amen amen so I said we're looking at Luke chapter 12 and I'm reading from verse 32 and we're going right down to 53 and there are just little sections that are going to tell us how we live in light of the end let's have a read verse 32 Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third or finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act to his, according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were kindled already. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. There will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother. Right, so that's a lot, right? There's a lot of kind of things going on, lots of different stories. But Jesus has five things that he wants to teach us. Each paragraph has one thing that he wants to teach us, and it's all in light of living, living in light of the end. Last week I used the illustration of the football match. When you know the score, watching the highlights is far less tense. There's far less drama in it. You can live through the ups and downs of that, but you know the end, and so you can watch it just a little more calm. Some of you may not watch football, so that's a bad illustration. How about when watching a film? And I had to think of films that I wouldn't ruin. And if you've not seen the Titanic, you've had about 30 years and about 100 years of history to kind of live back on. But when you're watching the Titanic and the iceberg appears, you're not asking, will it hit? You're asking, when will it hit? You're not asking, what will hit, what will happen? But when will this happen? And we live differently in light of that. And I said last week that the Christian life is just like that. Do you know on God's big plan, his, his only one agenda point left. There's only one point left in his whole plan of the Bible. And if you go through, you have creation where he's created the world. You have people like Adam and Eve. You have Noah, Abraham, Moses, Samson, Saul, David. You have the exile. You have Jesus coming and arriving on earth. You have him living in his ministry. You have his death. You have his ascension. You have Pentecost where the Holy Spirit falls on the church. You have the church going out to the ends of the world. So much so that it's in Collington in 2022. All these things have happened and there's one thing left. And it's Jesus' return. There is one agenda point left and it's the second coming of Jesus and that end that we know is the end that we spoke about in Isaiah. Let me read again just some of the things that Isaiah tells us will happen at the end. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all his people a feast of rich food. 
and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and reproach of his people he will take away from all of the earth. Let us be glad and rejoice in this salvation. When Jesus comes, there will be feasting. Death will be no more. Tears will be no more. There will be glad rejoicing. This, the image of kind of sweet flowing wine, restoration. And we live in light of that. That is how we are meant to live right now, in light of the end, knowing the end score. And as I said, there are five things that Jesus wants us to learn. And we're going to skim through them. I'm going to take in just two of the things we looked at last week. Because the first one is we live worry-free. We live worry-free in light of the end. Now, I only say this just to kind of briefly touch on it again. If you weren't here last week, have a listen to the Q&A especially. Because what touched me over the last week was in the Q&A and in small groups, there was so much discussion because all of us, all of us are affected by anxiety and worry in different ways. And what Jesus says is we are able to live worry-free in light of the end. Remembering God is in control, remembering God keeps the birds in the sky, the flowers growing at the bottom of our garden, so we trust in him. And the question that we should have is are we living in light of that? And the other thing I just want to say before we kind of dive into these, Jesus, when he puts all these things down, he's kind of being hyperbolic in that he just wants us to check ourselves. He knows that we live in a world that is difficult, but he just wants us to be like a doctor's checkup, these five things. Because he knows and understands that we will worry about things, but he's pushing us to remember that God is in control that he is ultimately the one watching over this. And what we do today is we look through these five things. I just want you guys to ask yourself, how am I doing at this? How am I living worry-free? Am I trusting that God is ultimately in control? Or to use the example that Sam used last week of, of the woman that he knew in Malawi who had suffered and had a completely different life to what we have just now. And it had been difficult and she could say, I am more valued than the lilies. You ask, how can you survive all these different things? How can you have hope and joy? And she says, I'm more valued than the lilies. What does that look like in Collington today? Are we living stress-free, worry-free lives because we know our God is going to carry us to the end? So that's the first point. The second one is, are we living generously? Are we living generously. And so the verses say, you don't have it on the screen, but the verses say, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And the reason I say that Jesus just uses this as checkpoints is that if we actually were to sell all of our possessions, we would then be the needy and we'd be in a far worse state. But he wants us just to check our hearts and ask, is money ruling us? Are our possessions ruling us? Because if God does not own our possessions, our possessions will own us. And so the question that we have is living in light of the end, are we living generously? Are we living where money doesn't control everything that we do, that we have an open hand to what God has given us? 
And I say that because verse 34 says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And what he's saying there is not, if you get yourself right, if you start following God perfectly, your treasure will follow. He says the opposite. He says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. So you want to know where your heart is on this, how generously you're living have a look at your bank statements. Have a look at your direct debits. Have a look at where you are plowing your money into. I think the other way that this kind of comes to us, and it's similar to this, is time. Time is one of the most valuable things we hold on to. Probably sometimes more so than money. And who and what are we giving our time to? Is it things that just satisfy and build us up? Or is it for the sake of God and his kingdom, generously giving to those who are needy, holding on to our time with an open fist, knowing God is in control? Are we living in light of God's complete control? And the question is, where is your treasure? Because your heart is there also. Brother, okay, so now we get to the verses we're actually meant to be looking at today. Number three, are we, we should be living ready. Let me just read some of the verses again. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Living in light of the end means being ready and awake for the return of Jesus. He gives two examples. The first one he says, he says, gird up your loins and get your sleeves rolled up, pack your bags, get ready for the master's return. He gives two examples of what this looks like. The first is of a servant who's waiting for his master to return home from a wedding feast. And I think Jewish wedding feasts would have gone on for a long time, so you'd have no idea when that is. I mean, Scottish people can understand that too. Sometimes parties go on very late, and our parents tell us to be home at 11, and we're home far later than that. We have no idea when the master will return, but he says, be ready. And then he gives a second example in the same kind of um, vein. And it helps us to understand. Look at verse 39. Know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man coming. Like a burglar has told the person that he's coming. Of course you're going to sit and wait. This reminds me of a story um, up in Lewis back home. We did bonfires and we did them well. We would have village competitions of bonfires. And then we got a heads up that Chris Giggerstow were going to come down to our bonfire and wreck it. And so, when we heard that on the school bus, we waited all night in the freezing cold because we knew they were coming and we wanted to defend it. That's what Jesus says. That's how he says we should be waiting for his return, being ready, being vigilant for when he comes back. But Jesus doesn't just tell us to do things for the sake of it. Look at the reward that is in store for this. Look at verse 37, and you might not have seen it. Blessed are those whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service, have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. The master will serve the servant when he returns. He will recline at table. Where have we heard table language before? Let me read Isaiah one more time. 
On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. He will swallow up on this mountain death forever. The master is coming back and he will serve. There is real reward in this. But if I was to ask you, what does being ready for Jesus' return look like? Is it holding placards and saying, Jesus, come? Is Jesus coming look ready? Does it mean we just spend all our time in church because that's who Jesus is coming for? What does being ready actually look like? You can chat about that in small groups, but I think the best way to understand what being ready is is looking at what the opposite is. The opposite for the servant in this situation would be to be distracted by all the tasks that he could be doing. Going off to sleep and doing something else, not waiting for the return. And so being ready is to not be distracted while we are here. While we're in the house, in this world, it is not being distracted. I think we're all distracted from time to time. We all take our eye off the ball. We all live as if Jesus has done it. We can just do our own thing sometimes. We're all sometimes distracted. There's, there's a guy called um, Peter Kreft. He's a, this sounds really smart, but I just picked up the book randomly. He does not a commentary on Blaise Pascal's Pences. Right? That sounds really smart. It's a really easy book to read. But he has these quotes that are really, really interesting. A guy called Peter Kreft, he says... Why doesn't anybody have any time anymore? Where did all the time go? The question is more troubling than it seems because we ought to have more time. Not yet, we'll get that in a second. We ought to have more time and more leisure than our ancestors did because we have technology, right? We can send a message instantly. We don't have to wait weeks and months for letters to go. We don't have to grow our crops and herd our cattle. We can just go to the supermarket and do that. And yet... We have no time. Technology is these time-saving devices. And he says it's because we're distracted to death. We have more time than we should ever have, and yet we're busier than ever. We're busier than we ever ought to be. And he asks this question, why? And then he gives this quote. This is Blaise Pascal's quote. His pence is number 136, and I do it because it's super good. When I have occasionally, he says, set myself to consider the different distractions of men, the pains and perils to which they expose themselves at court or in war, whence arise so many quarrels, passions, bold and often bad ventures, I have discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, that they cannot stay quietly in their own chamber. A man who has enough to live on, if he knew how to stay with pleasure at home, would not leave it to go to sea or to besiege a town. A commission in the army would not be bought so dearly, but that it, was, that it found insufferable not to budge from the town. And men only seek conversation and entering games because they cannot remain with pleasure at home. What he's saying is we distract ourselves to death because we can't sit in silence by ourselves. And that's a quote that he kind of says of, he says that if we sit in a room, all we'll do is we'll think about death and that terrifies us. We distract ourselves from that. And so thinking of what Jesus says here, 
Are we living in light of all of the distractions that we have in our world, holding them lightly, seeing them for what they are, but living ready for his kingdom? Are we living distraction-free? Are we ready for his service? If he was to return after the service, would we be able to stand before him and say, I've been faithful? Or would we stand and say, you know what? I've kind of slipped into this monotonous Sunday by Sunday thing or just Bible reading thing. Not fully ready for the return of Jesus. Are we living faithfully in that? And the question, if you aren't a Christian, so a lot of this is is driven towards those who are followers of Jesus. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. If you're not a Christian here today, you're watching online, what is it that is distracting you from the God who we saw earlier in this chapter, who is the creator and sustainer of the entire world, who steps in to our world, who will one day return and we'll all be standing in front of standing before our saviour the master is coming and we do not know when he will come so let's look at the fourth one the fourth thing that jesus tells in verses 41 to 48 and the fourth one is living in the light of the end means living lovingly living in light of the end means loving what god has told us to do loving our neighbours and loving our Father. And this is similar to the stuff that's come before, but it's slightly different. Can you put verse 37 up on the, the screen? This is the, the, the paragraph before. Blessed are those, whose, those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And then look at verse 43. He says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. This time there's a slight difference. And he's saying, blessed is the one who is carrying out faithfully the things that I have told him to do. This is a direct verse against kind of abuse in the church or at home or in the world. Look at this. Look at what he says of this servant. The servant's waiting for the master to return. Verse 45, my master is delayed in coming so... He begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. And what he's saying is, don't be like that, but remain faithful, loving my people who you are set over, loving the people who are around you and listening and loving and following what God has told us to do. Are we living in light of that? We've had, are we living worry-free? Are we living generously? Are we living ready? Are we living lovingly with all that God has given us, being faithful to all that he has taught us? And it's just to make ourselves check ourselves. Are we using our money well? Are we not anxious about the world around us? And are we loving the people that God has given to live with us? Are we following the message of the gospel that we know and love? Are we still listening to the guiding voice of Jesus? There is kind of one thing that is uh, just worth touching on. Verse 47, 48. It sounds pretty harsh what happens to this servant. 
And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, he will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. We have to remember here is that in the, the situation that Jesus is speaking, and you have the disciples, you have the crowd, you have the Pharisees who in the last chapter we were told were being hypocritical, were putting burdens on people where they weren't meant to. What Jesus is saying here is the people who have had all of the, the God's grace shown to them throughout the Old Testament and reject it, they will be dealt with more severely than those who hear it just one or two times. That's quite hard to take. That's hard to kind of understand or just think about how that works out. And to be honest, I don't have an answer for that. But what Jesus says here is that he will come back and there will be judgment when he comes back. Are we ready for him? And Christians, are we living lovingly, faithful to our God and Saviour? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So the question to us is what will Jesus think of us with how we care for other people, with how we follow his commands? Knowing that's not what saves us, we are saved, but he asks us, I'm coming back, will you listen to my words? And then just finally, I'll just touch on the last one. And I really struggle with a word for the fifth one that, rhymed with the rest. We have worry-free, generously, ready, lovingly, and aware didn't work. So aware, I don't think it's a word, but it fits in with my five points. And it's just to say, Jesus, can, he says, I mean, some of this is gospel, right? There will be a time when mother-in-law and daughter-in-law will fight against one another. Amen. Okay, so <laughs> the struggle, I'm kidding, my wife and my mother get on fine. Um, <laughs> but living in light of the end, he tells us that there's going to be division. He tells us to expect it sometimes to be difficult as we go towards the end. In the Titanic illustrations, as the iceberg is coming, how do we live? We live aware that there's going to be divisions. We live life here. So when it gets hard, that should not be a sign that we need to jump ship out of our faith or out of the church. God tells us, Jesus tells us, there will be division until he comes again. And that's it. We just live aware of that. And so the questions to everyone here today, are we living worry-free? Are we living in light of God's control of all things? When we look at our bank statements or our calendar, are we living wholeheartedly, giving all that we can to his cause, to his people, to the people we know and love around us? Are we living distraction-free in a world where there are things constantly going on at us? Do we take time out to remember who God is and what he's done? And from that, are we living it out in the lives that we have, knowing that it's going to be hard, there will be divisions in the world around us? And the reason that we do this, let me just read it again. That quote from Isaiah is just, it is what we all long for. When Jesus returns, there will be this, and he will swallow up on this mountain, the covering that is cast over all peoples. What, a, what an image of what death is. One in one people die, 10 in 10, 100 in 100. The veil that is spread over nations, 
he will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. He will swallow up death forever. As Jesus says this, he is going to that place where death is defeated, where it has no more sting over us. It hurts and it is hard. But ultimately we know that there will be a place where that image where wine is flowing freely, where we will be restored, made new, the thing that every human being has in their heart and longs for. That is what is coming for us. So living in light of that means to live worry-free, generously and ready. Let's pray to God that we can do this in our lives. Let's pray to God as we think through how this works out in our lives. Small groups is a place where we can really just sit and ask each other questions of, are we living ready? Are we living generously? Where are our anxieties in life? And let's pray for one another. So let's pray over this. Love and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is something that we are all heading to. That the grace that you have shown us means that we are on the winning side. Help us not to seek after riches. Help us to know where our inheritance is. Help us to be able to sing wholeheartedly that Christ is over all of our heart. Let us just use this as a check to see where we're at. Have we slipped from where we were once? Have we changed where our heart's allegiance lies? Are we loving you with all of our being? We thank you for the Lord Jesus. And we love you. Amen.